Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. We're live on the Men Talk podcast talking about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is Matt Lovegrove. Hello. Matt, feel free to introduce yourself. Oh, thank you. Uh, so my name's Matt. I live in uh, the UK and uh, my partner, Katie, and I were getting married. My fiance, I should say, Katie, and I were getting married in uh, about four or five months time, have been on the uh, kind of infertility journey now for a couple of years. And it's been a roller coaster of emotions, as I'm sure people are familiar with. Absolutely. First off, where in the UK are you from? Which part so of the UK? I was... I was born in Reading, which is kind of down south, um, just east of London. And um, Katie was a little bit further north than me. So, um, yeah. So how far is that from London? It's south, north, um, what's the geography? I'm not too familiar with that area. Yeah, we're, we're kind of um, to the uh, west of London, actually. Sorry, London's to our east. Uh, by train, about 20 minutes. So we're not far at all. Uh, by car, about an hour, you know, in the, you know, in the British roads. So, yeah. Not bad at all. I got to get used to driving on the left side of the road. Absolutely. And making sure that I don't get hit by a car when I cross the street. (laughs) Last time I was there, I forgot to look the opposite direction when I crossed the street. It it takes some getting used to, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) So you shared with me, you know, infertility journey over the last couple months. You're getting married soon. That's very, very exciting. Thank Um, you. Where are you at your journey? You know, what, 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 what was your process like? What are, what are you, where are you holding? What? Talk to us a little bit about your journey. Sure. So I'm um, I'm 37. Katie's 38. This year I'm going to be 38. She's going to be 39. We've been with each other for about three years now, and we started trying for a child properly um, about two years ago. And being aware of our ages, no, I wasn't particularly aware of anything regarding this because I just assumed it would be happily kind of happen at any time for anyone so it wasn't really in the kind of forefront of my mind but Katie said you know six months in we should probably just go and get checked out and I I remember thinking oh I don't I don't know if we should really because you know it kind of happens and I'm I'm a teacher right and I've taught sex education before and you know the sperm meets the egg happy days he's you know that I I I, in some ways ignorance was complete bliss for this and I I still (laughs) I miss the days where I was this ignorant and I I say to Katie you know I joke quite a lot I, I quite often say we know too much about this stuff now so we went along and got some checks and it turned out that she had a low egg count. So a low AMH result. And I came back with really high fragmentation for sperm. And this this threw us into a kind of world of what does this mean for us? And, and how are we going to get through this? Um, and we did. Um, we spent a, a ton of money on a kind of private tests because we're not really covered by the national health service in this country now that we're over the age of thirty-five. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, anyone over the age of thirty-five it isn't covered for any um, kind of private IVF treatment. Um, uh, so K- Katie had some tests done, but all of mine were private. And we've had to spend a lot of money on uh, doing private tests as well. And um, about a year ago or so, we went to see a fertility expert locally. 
And she said, um, looking at your ages and low AMH and high fragmentation, the best route for us would be to go to uh, go through ICSI. Um, and she recommended that we go abroad, which again was something that we hadn't even considered. So, I mean, what, whatever happened, we're going to have to pay for it privately. Um, but that was something that hadn't really crossed my mind that we might have to be thinking about going abroad. So, um, we saved, uh, we did a lot of research, a lot of reading. Um, it was, a. it's, it's been, it's been a very tough time actually. And then, um, we went to Greece about two months ago and had successful ICSI over there and had two, uh, two eggs implanted. And then unfortunately about two weeks ago or so we miscarried at the set, uh, around six, seven week mark. So we're at that point now where, um, Katie's still currently miscarrying, which has been horrendous. And I, I wish I, I wish I could take some of that away from her. It's been horrible to see. And I, I had no idea it was going to be like that. And we're starting to plan round two. So that's the kind of uh, whistle stop tour of our journey so far. Wow. You know, first off, I commend you for getting saying, you know, get tested beforehand early because a lot mm-hmm. of guys, you know, they, they're afraid to take that first initial step, mm-hmm. an initial step of getting tested. It's uh, it's always hard for a man to say, you know, I'm, I'm fertile myself. You know, it's like, why well, should I get why should I get tested? Why should I check and make sure everything is OK? You know, absolutely. So I commend you on that. I think it's a very, very important. How did you you know, I'm curious because I'm actually I'm in Israel. So sure. IVF is actually covered by the government. You know, it doesn't necessarily okay. matter, matter by the age. They covered our actual oh, wow. first two kids. Mm. Um, and then I think it's cheap, but it's interesting that you say in the UK, it's, it's not covered up after a certain age. Mm. What is it? What does it cost out in the UK, you know, to do a privately to go abroad? Like what, what's, what's, what's the cost like? Well, interestingly, it's a bit of a postcode lottery. It depends on where you live um, in our area and in most areas. It's once you're over the age of 35, uh, there is no coverage. And you're very, very lucky if you live in an area that does have any coverage after that age. And you're looking privately per round about £16,000. Um, and we, we spent in Greece, um, about uh, probably about four thousand pounds for the actual same process. Uh, We had to pay for accommodation and drugs and that was separate, but it was significantly cheaper in Greece. Um, and we, we'd read a lot about the care that the NHS provide compared to, um, the care of, of of private uh, surgery in Greece. So we decided to go down that route, but yeah, we were looking at, you're looking at around 16, 17,000 pounds per round. Whoa, it's a that's lot still, of money. That's still cheaper than the United States, but still, it's a lot of money. Yeah, so oh, it's a huge, it's a huge amount of money, and you know, I mean, it just so happens that we've spent about that up to this point now, anyway, because of going to Greece and all the private checks and the tests that we did and the results and everything else, accommodation and food whilst we were out there and all, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it seems um, for, for people like us, you know, we, we both we both work full time. Um, we've got all the love in the world for a child and it just seems desperately unfair that it that that is the case when we've we've known each other for about three years so you know really unfortunate how did Mm. you how did you go about picking Greece like what what other countries were you looking into you know what what was that process like well we didn't actually we um we picked we were going to go in the UK 
So uh, we'd never even considered going abroad. Um, and uh, a, a fertility expert that just so happens to be around the corner to us, um, she said, you want to go to this specific doctor that she'd worked with before. And she kind of funnels people off in directions based on their own individual needs. So we haven't done any other research. We just followed her advice. It was someone that we re- we've really grown to trust. Um, and when she talked about the level of care and we read some of the case stories, um and, and and did bits like that we decided that was the best route so we, we hadn't done any other research at all actually what was it like for you you know obviously you, you took the journey and the step but in going to Greece what was it like for you what were you feeling you mentioned that you know the round unfortunately didn't take just having a miscarriage what was it like yeah. for you what's going what's going through your mind uh, it was so much tougher than I ever expected and um I so I knew it was wasn't going to be easy but in some ways again as I said at the beginning that kind of ignorance is bliss I remember learning about what IVF was when I was 15 14 15 years old and um I thought this is going to be simple and this is going to solve our problem so I didn't really think too much of it and then we brought a couple of books on the IVF process and I started to think actually there's all these steps you know, there's so many different steps and there's so many things that can go wrong at each different step, even before we got there. And then I thought, oh, we'll be fine. You know, uh, there's nothing kind of wrong with us apart from low AMH and high fragmentation. Um, I thought, you know, all the stuff that the, the Greek doctors were talking about could kind of overcome those things. Um, and then we went out there and every day was just, we were on edge every day. Um and way more than I, I think it, it was probably the most stressful time that we've ever been through. Interestingly, it brought us closer together as a couple, um, uh, because we, you know, just leaned on each other so much. Um, but you know, but blokes aren't particularly good at talking about this stuff so is one thing I've learned through this and that the male fertility support group online has been really useful. But yeah, I, I felt like when, when I came back, I'd just taken a massive emotional battering, a mental battering. And Katie, of course, has taken the, the emotional and the physical battering. And um, there were definitely moments there where I, I didn't know what to say, how to say it, how to best support her, whether I, you know, she even wanted me to say things. And the, the hardest days were the, the waiting days, those days where we'd had um, eggs collected and we were waiting for fertilization um and that that was a really hard day and then waiting uh for day five to see how many blasts had uh created as well um you know we kept ourselves busy um we spent far too long on google and that's something i'm never going to do again <laughs> you know they say the um, web md right the google google yeah MD. Uh, it was the worst thing but you naturally want to go on and start looking up stats and percentages and those kind of things um and uh yeah i i, I you know we'll, we'll, we'll be going for round two in two three months time you know fingers crossed i'm going to stay off of the internet because it, it wasn't helpful at all and, and that's one of my biggest tips actually for anyone going through this is just trust your consultants and you can read anything you want online um there are some really good support groups i would absolutely use those but in terms of googling you know percentage rates at this age or you know what can go wrong at day three you know those kind of things is not helpful um we kept ourselves busy but it was tough and we were tired and I, i remember coming back um and i went straight back to work the next day and I was so emotionally spent. I was, I was a bit like a zombie and I just, 
I just needed some time and space. And I'm, unfortunately, I work in a really busy school. So that's not somewhere where you get time and space. Um, and I, I remember it took me a couple of weeks, even though we come back with great news and we were delighted. And then we had a successful pregnancy test, which was lovely. It was a it was really tough, really tough. Yeah. Did you, you know, did you um, when you were in Greece and the waiting time and obviously the support groups are online, they're, they're great because that's how we connected and we found each other. It's just yeah. random people to connect to. But did you do anything during that waiting time aside from aside from Googling things? You went to Greece. <laughs> did you enjoy so we, the island at least? Did you, did you we, have some uh, fun? <laughs> well, interestingly, we were in the clinic every day. Um, and it was a half an hour walk from where we were staying. And so we did, we went in pretty much every day. We did spend a day in Athens, which was really nice, but we were both shattered. And I, that was at a time where we were waiting for our five day results as well. Um, I worked, so I carried on doing some work over there because my school had been really generous and said, look, just take two weeks off, which I wasn't expecting. And I said, well, I still want to help out and do things. Um, Katie didn't. We watched an awful lot of Netflix. <laughs> um, we talked a lot. We tried to laugh a lot. We cooked dinner. We went out to have some nice meals and do things like that. So um, we, we tried to, you know, we, we, we rang family and friends a lot. That was really nice to do. The support we've had from, from our friendship groups has been amazing. And that's something that everyone needs going through this. I think you need to have friends and family kind of checking in with you and asking questions. And we, you know, even after our news, when we came back, the kind of love and outpouring has been immense. And that's been, it, it, it's, it's, you know, not solved the problem, but it's, it's been really nice to hear that there are people kind of behind us like that um but yeah we we mainly kept ourselves busy um katie ran an instagram account which was really interesting so she was kind of micro blogging or blogging times at the time and i think that helped her kind of process what was going on um yeah we just talked and watched a lot of tv (laughs) and and tried to try to sleep as much as we could as well what else did you do to keep yourself busy, your mind off of it, you know, in terms of support? Did you run? Did you hike? Did you play music? I see you got some nice drums in the background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I couldn't take them to Greece with me, unfortunately. That would have been great. <laughs> um, we we played some games. Uh, we read. Uh, we talked about the news a lot. Actually, every day we spent some time talking about the news. We went for a, a walk around somewhere. We didn't go into Athens every single day where we stayed. When I talk about Athens, I mean the city centre. But we we went to the shopping mall, had lunch out, had a good mooch around, tried to take in some of the culture. Um, you know, we, we did spend a nice day wandering around museums and things. I think that's that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. What is it like? What is it like for you? You know, when other people approach you. You mentioned that that family and friends and people talking is is extremely important. And mm-hmm. what are, what are those conversations like? Because a lot of times I hear guys, you know, oftentimes they feel embarrassed that they're going through. You know, it's nothing mm-hmm. nothing to be ashamed about. What's the no, reaction? it's not. What's but the it, reaction it, for your friends and family? It feels like I, I don't I don't know why I haven't worked this out yet. It feels like you. It feels like it should be something you're embarrassed about. And now I talk so much more openly about this than ever before. And I'm really pleased that I've done that. And, you know, like, like you said, it's, I I think it's more difficult for men to do that. And I don't know why necessarily. Um, But initially kind of saying to friends and family, we're going through some tests uh, wasn't too much of an issue. 
and they kind of understood because you know we we were slightly older than the I guess average parents um although who who knows what that means anymore <laughs> um but yeah as kind of time was going on and we started to you know we're going for IVF we're going through ICSI we've got these things we're kind of contending with there's definitely you know but particularly friends I think my, my family were great but I, you know, I've got p- people my age and people that I work with having to sit down with them and saying look I'm taking two weeks off work because of this and we're going to go through this was really tough and <laughs> interestingly not many of my male friends really knew how to respond um and a lot of them would say oh you'll be fine it's going to happen you know oh don't worry about it you're like really <laughs> um so yeah I, there have definitely been some situations particularly at work actually when people have said oh you know how did it go and I've told them and I, I've told them how tough people people don't know what to say um they don't know whether they should say is there anything I can do to help you or oh, that's really sad um uh, you know but my, my closest friends will always say you know um how how can we help you but the majority kind of I think they, they find it uncomfortable because it's not something that's spoken about a lot I think particularly in male circles is that that's what I found so how do we change that it's so true that men you know don't like that you know what would you suggest so that we can change that yeah I think there's got to be a far more kind of open culture and I mean, it's a great question. It's a really good question. It, it just so happens I work in an all boys school when typically our boys don't always like talking, which is interesting. And this is a battle we have at my school all the time. You've got to talk about things that are going on so we can help you. Um, I'd like to think because of how open I've been about it, the people around me, if they were going through it, would feel more able to open up. I think the support networks online have been brilliant. And particularly the male infertility one, being able to post a question in there and have lots of people answering. And, and even even the, 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 the kind of levels of sympathy that come from that sometimes, you know, I, I've posted there a few times and said, this is what we're going through. And you'll get a load of guys who will say, I've been there before. Uh, here's a tip for you. That's been really good. But out in the out in the wider kind of world outside of these circles, um, to be honest, uh, I don't know. I just think that people who are going through it have got to do their best to try and inform because it's given us, and and Katie was saying this about her work as well. We've all known friends that have gone through this stuff before, but I never once thought to say to them, would you like to talk to me about it? Or how are you feeling? So a a colleague of mine came up to about 10 years ago and she'd miscarried and she said, I've been off work for uh, two weeks because I miscarried. And I, I remember saying to her, that's really sad. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And just carrying on as normal. I didn't check in with her, you know, a day later. Um, uh, you know, I didn't do any of that stuff that I, the people that uh, have kind of done to me now that has been really helpful. So I, I think, I think we've got to have more of a kind of open culture, more of a talking culture. And, and there's got to be more profile raised, particularly about male infertility. And, and this, this is coming through really strong now, I think, as a, as a factor, you know, it's always seen as, oh, this is a female issue and men, you know, the whole kind of male thing. I, I think even in this country at this, uh, in 2022, they're, they're not checking men's fragmentation before IVF sometimes. And you think that's crazy. You know, this was something I didn't even know about, but to, wow. to go through rounds of IVF and not have your, and not have fragmentation checked now just seems balmy. You know, so I, I think there's got to be a far more kind of open culture where where men in particular feel more comfortable speaking to each other about these issues and uh, almost some kind of support for their friends and family that have got a supporting someone through it because it's so alien to a lot of people. 
yeah, 100%. You mentioned, I want to go back, you know, Steph, because you said you mentioned mm. that, you, that you taught sex education you mm. know, in, in schools. Do you think that in the school curriculums, when they talk about sex education, you know, all the time people are talking about condoms and don't get people pregnant, all these crazy, <laughs> yes. crazy things, yeah. and giving you dolls and dummies, you know, take home as, as a high sure. school student, I had to take home, a, you know, a doll and a dummy. Do you think that the education that students are getting in the schools when it comes to sex education should be shifted a little bit. That it's not necessarily about a sperm and an egg, but really that there are a lot of couples. There's a lot of complicated things that go into it. It's not just about a sperm and egg. You know, it could be, you know, there are fertility factors. You might need to do, you know, shots. You might, you know, Mm -hmm. retrieval and a transfer and go into that. Absolutely. And I'm saying this from someone who's taught it before as well. I've so massively oversimplified it before. It's unbelievable. And when I look back now, I think, goodness me, how I've literally taught before that a sperm makes an egg and a baby, you know, the cells divide and nine months later, there's a baby. (laughs) And you think, wow, you know, if only you knew how many people that doesn't happen for. (laughs) And, you know, also within that, you know, the massive percentage of people that miscarry early on as well. Um, And in some ways, and I, I remember going through this in school, this was never, ever spoken about. We never had less, as, as far as I was aware, if I was sleeping, which is a possibility. Um, but we never had lessons on um, like male fertility. And as, as a kind of teenage boy, no one ever mentioned things like diet and how important that is in the process. Uh, you know, exercise and stress reduction and those things as being key to this process. And, and these are all things that I've learned along the way, the importance of maintaining kind of healthy lifestyle to better improve quality Um, but no one ever ever said that would be a thing to the point that you know even up to two years ago I thought that if there was going to be a fertility issue it would have nothing to do with me at all Um, it didn't even cross my mind that there might be anything like that so yeah I think education's got a big part to play in this from uh, you know for, for certainly in the kind of teenage bracket where you know, I, I think that, that there's a very good case here for safe sex and healthy, you know, sex education and good personal social health education. But there definitely should be some uh, discussions on, you know, looking after yourself for this process and about where to go if you need a hand with this as well. Yeah. When you're talking 100 percent, when you're talking about diet and exercise, what is what is your routine? What have you been told about diet and exercise? Every doctor I go to, they tell me, hey, wait a second. You got to lose a little bit of weight. You should be, you know, you, yeah, you're a young time. guy. You should, should be walk, you know, don't just walk. You should do more activity. <laughs> yeah. But what's the connection between diet and exercise going through the fertility journey? What, what have you been told? What's your routine? <laughs> what? Well, I mean, everyone who's looked at me said, you've got to lose weight. And I'm like, oh, thanks for letting me know, right? <laughs> that was, that's always been yeah, my I... first comment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of aware of that, right? Um, and I, so I completely cut out sugar. That was the biggest thing. I, I did a lot of reading and, and we could have paid for this. So we, we got referred to a nutritionist. And I thought, I, I don't want to spend 50 pounds an hour talking to someone about diet because I, I, I think I know what they're going to say. And um because you, know, you can spend a fortune in this field from so many different, you know, there's so many different things that can happen here. Nutritionists and you've got acupuncture and, you know, um, massages and 
um, Katie has these kind of foot things that happen as well. And you think there's, there's people out there that will take a lot of money. And I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit skeptical about the value that can bring, particularly when you're saving for IVF and it's not cheap. So, um, for me, um, in terms of diet, uh, for about three, four months beforehand, I almost completely cut out sugar. Um, yeah, which was big, um, for me. And I did lose a lot of weight and I tried to keep cool as much as possible as well. Um, I tried to eat, you know, at least five portions of fruit and veg a day, which we managed to do. Um, we tried to kind of cut back on trans vats and I, I was a massive drinker of um, drinks like Pepsi and Coke. And we, I stopped that and just reverted to water. Um, and, and that, that's something that we're still doing now we you know, because of round two, and actually it's, it's, it's been better for our lifestyles anyway. Um, we try and eat kind of like a healthy Mediterranean diet, lots of nuts. I know lots of people say walnuts and Brazil nuts. I'm sure you've been there before with that as well. Um, so we try to do that. We've got a dog. So we go on longer walks with her, which has been nice. We kind of keep each other in check as much as we can. Um, but that's not easy because then you've got the stress of IBF. And for some people, that makes you want to comfort eat. <laughs> and, you know, it's really easy to sit down even and think, oh, I just want a bowl of ice cream because it's been a tough day today. And someone's told me that it's going to cost this amount of money. So it kind of, <laughs> it doesn't, especially, it doesn't always, doesn't always weigh up, does it? Especially during that two week wait, man, that two week oh. wait uh, is five <laughs> days, three days at two weeks. We're just, man, just tell me how many embryos we have, please. Help me exactly. What are the exactly. grades? What's, what's, like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm and going so, berserk during this. It's weeks. horrible, isn't it? And and for some people, that might reduce their eating. That's not that's not the same for us. So um, we, although we did do a really good job over there at keeping ourselves in check and thinking, no, we're not going to go and do like crazy stuff. We had the occasional treat to keep ourselves going, but we're we're both quite good at saying to each other, "Really? Like, are you sure you want that now?" We'd never say no to each other, but we're quite good at saying, "Look, this is we need we need to make sure our bodies are in tip top condition." Um, so that that was big for us and we have you know that that's i'm sure that's going to have you know really major uh kind of positive consequences for our future as well because we've both lost weight and are, are in better shape now than before and i think that is really important but again they don't i don't think they teach you a lot of this at school really um you know they might teach healthy eating but if, if it is it's done for an hour or two a year and it they definitely don't make links between that and reproduction and you know families and things like that later on down the line it's definitely hard to keep up with though you know there's got to be that craving you know i want that i want that sugary drink i want that piece (laughs) of chocolate it's you know it's hard it's hard particularly when you're in a new country because that we didn't we never felt like we were on a holiday at all um and ivf is no holiday (laughs) uh you know no matter where you are and what you're doing even though we were in, in another country it was not a holiday um and it you know but that we were abroad and there were different places to eat and we wanted to go and do that. But we managed to kind of keep ourselves under control, which wasn't easy. At least you're very lucky in the fact that, you know, your school was able to give you two weeks off for do it. Not many companies, you know, give you time off to do it. Uh, or even I'm, cover so, it. I'm so grateful. Katie's company did the same. So they, they, they actually said you can have two weeks off and then two weeks when you get back, which wow. was incredible. And then being a teacher is a nightmare um because I, I teach students that got exams coming through soon and i felt incredibly guilty about just leaving and i i couldn't uh, this, this is something else that i've battled with as well that'd be interesting to explore with you i i my students don't know where i've been and what i've been through 
that they know that they think I was in hospital and a lot of them asked why. And there were days where I thought, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm just going to tell you what's going on so that I could um, raise more, more kind of awareness about it. But then you've got that professional line where you think, actually, they don't need to know about my sex life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was tricky because certainly with my older students, you know, as, when I came back, they said, well, how were you? How was the operation? And I was kind of, well, I haven't really been to an operation. How do, how do you explain this to kind of 300 kids? Right. How old are um, the students? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, they still don't know that they just think that I was abroad having something done that I couldn't have done in the UK, which is true. But why, why I couldn't be more open about it is really interesting. And this is definitely something I battled with myself. Um, because I thought, you know, if I'd gone in with a broken leg, I would have, my school would have said, he's got a broken leg. He's going to be off for two weeks. Right. Um, why kind of hide that issue? as a school you know is uh, but also you've got that professional kind of line that you can't cross you don't want to give them too much of your personal life away because you've got to protect a little bit of who you are and actually so i you know all this stuff is quite private to a certain extent i'm way better at talking about this now than ever before um but yeah it was uh, there were definitely days where i thought i'm just going to tell them that i'm going for idf and see how they respond and i didn't and I, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to be professional. But then I thought at the same time, if I'm not telling them and being honest about this, how are they going to be honest in the future when they're going through the same thing? You know? Yeah. I wonder how many other teachers, uh, faculty members in your school are actually going through this because maybe one way around it would be to have, a, you know, an assembly class. Hey, wait a second. Even though it's personalized, just so there's some awareness, you know, not every time it's good people are going away. Like if you have an assembly and say, Hey, look, we have a bunch of faculty here. This is just a common thing, mm. right? The statistics don't lie. One of no. four pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Yeah. One in eight couples, couples struggle with infertility. Yeah. Exactly. One in awesome. 160 births end in stillbirth and one in a thousand babies die of SIDS. Like they, yeah. the statistics don't lie. So the likelihood no. is that there's another teacher, another faculty member, another administrator in the school that's suffered. That's going through it. That's yeah. going through it. It shouldn't be a and secret. That- and actually, I've been really, really honest with people at school about it. So pe- people that have asked me, because um, it's unusual for staff just to disappear for two weeks like like that in the middle of a term, you know, and it's not like you can plan this around like some holidays or Christmas holidays or anything like that, which would have been ideal. Um, so I've been really honest with staff about where I was. Students, not so much. And I think that's sad. Um but yeah, you know, you think in a school my size, that we've got a thousand boys, there's going to be 120, 130 of them that are going to go on and have the same, these same issues. 100%. And even, even more of them at some point are going to miscarry. And, you know, only my closest friends at school know that we've miscarried. Um, and I, I wouldn't yet tell my students. And maybe that's something that's got to change. Um, but at the same time, you can't, as a teacher, you've got to be really careful about your, you kind of crossing that private personal boundary um because you know it could open up all kinds of issues and bits like that but there there are other i'm sure there are other staff there that are going through this and don't know that i'm going through it and i would love to talk to them and i'm sure there are other staff that have had babies and there, there'll be kids there that are avf kids as well that know about this um you know because it's bound to be in a school that size there's bound to be at least a couple there that were you know born through ivf i would imagine 100 um yeah, you know, and you think this is it's something that's kind of very hidden. And I thought, yeah, interestingly, I said to Katie about a month ago, I've been teaching now 15 years. So I've taught, you know, thousands of kids. 
not once did I think <laughs> you might be an IVF child. Isn't that interesting? Not, not, that, not that it should change anything and it certainly shouldn't change my relationship with him, but not once did I think, you know, or oh, these parents might be having difficulty with this or, you know, they tried for eight years to have you. And like I said, not, not that that would change anything about how I would deal with them, but it's just, I didn't even think about it. You know, I had 30 kids in my class and that's it. And they were all born, you know, first time, <laughs> no issues. Everyone's happy. You know, it's just, yeah, it's, there's an unreal level of, um, it's, there's an unreal level of people not wanting to talk about this stuff openly at the moment. It's really sad. Which is something that you know, I'm working on changing, mm, like getting guys to talk, talk, there's, you know, talk this. That's one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast is because sure. it's really important for, guys to, to to share their stories to open up and to really absolutely got to get the yeah. word out there we're not we're, yeah. we're not silent sufferers anymore that's that's changing no no and i think also that there needs to be some education for people bosses managers employees so that when their staff are going through this they know how to support them too because before this if one of the guys that i work with said oh, i'm going for ivf good luck you know i'll see you in nine months with your baby kind of thing and i would have literally <laughs> taken that view without i wouldn't have known a thing about it um and that there's there's very very few people very few companies you know talk about this so my school did not have a policy on this at all so when I approached them, there was no policy. <laughs> um, that can work to your advantage or disadvantage. It, and it did. It did. And they've been really good. And they've, they've said, you know, second round, I can go. You know, I, I'm so lucky for that because, I mean, I would have taken unpaid leave or done something else. And I think Katie's company are probably going to do the same as well. There's only um, really one good thing that comes out, you know, even though we struggle through this whole infertility journey, at least at the end, okay, if you get the embryos, you can decide, hey, wait a second. I want to get pregnant at a certain time and try and do a transfer. You know, that's, that's the one bright side, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, companies, um, workplaces need to have policies on this stuff because there are going to be staff out there that aren't talking about it, um, you know, that can't talk about it. There aren't support groups in work in the same way that there might be for other kind of issues like that. You know, so you've got a lot of mental health kind of groups in, within workplaces now i've noticed uh, but within that you don't i've never ever ever come across you know a, a, a kind of miscarriage group or you know if you're struggling with fertility here's a support group here's people that you can talk to it, it doesn't seem to happen much um you know th- this is why i said to you i'm more than happy to kind of share our story and talk about it because i think people do need to be talking lots about this to, to break down that stigma it's going to take some time as well what would you like to see in your neighborhood, you know, other guys who have gone through this, what type of activities, what type of groups, whether it be music, whether it be sports, whether it be hiking, whether it be just talking about meeting up, chilling, having a barbecue, like what type of things would you like to see (laughs) in your own neighborhood? Well, interestingly, the person that we saw, our fertility expert just around the corner from us said that she used to run sessions in the evening for men, men only. And she stopped doing them because she couldn't get rid of the men at the end of the so she'd plan a session from seven to eight and they'd still be there at 11 o'clock at night talking wow and that was really really interesting so she had to stop doing them because she couldn't cope with doing a full day's work and then having you know four or five hours of blokes going how do i do this what do i do kind of putting up her hands thinking i don't know what to say so my my initial thing i think would be more chat and support groups i think places like some of those facebook groups where people can go and say 
I'm going through this. Has anyone else been through this before? Um, so K- Katie's already met up with someone locally who's about to go through IVF and that's helped, that's helped them immensely. Um, so that there needs to be some kind of, uh, group where people can say, I, I want to chat to someone who either knows what it's like, you know, or being through, or, or even we had hundreds of questions and I'm sure you're aware of this, but you know, the first time you go through this, you, you just write down your questions and they're pages long and oh, someone yeah. sit down with you over a cup of coffee and say, I'm going to help you with this then. So this is what high fragmentation means. Not coming from a doctor point of view, that this is what ICSI does. This is how many days you're going to wait. This is how you're going to feel. Um, I wrote a blog post recently about like top tips for going through IVF because I did it whilst I was over there because I didn't want guys to be doing what, what I, the mistakes I've made, which was Googling a lot. And I thought I need to let people know that if you're going to about to go through this, you need to stay off the internet because it damaged it, it. I wouldn't say it damaged our mental health, but it didn't help at all. So I think having, having like support groups where people can meet up and chat informally through a coffee shop or sports or going for a walk is a really, really positive step in this area because there are clearly people out there that want to talk, but don't know where to go and where to get that, where to get that help. So let's set that up. So if you are out in the UK and you're going through IVF, suffering a miscarriage get in touch with matt happy to absolutely absolutely yeah I, i've been considering um creating a podcast about it because i want to talk about it uh, i at one point i thought i'm going to build a website on my tips for blokes you know there are some really good books out there as well and the, the the facebook network the facebook groups can the majority of the time they can be positive um i, I would just say don't get caught up too much in the negativity sometimes in them or the the kind of horror stories because that can lead you to, to some dark places if you're not careful but in in the majority i think they're very supportive 100 percent. what you know do you still have that list of tips i'd love for you to yeah share i that. do so what yeah, are those what me... are those tips <laughs> okay let's have a look so i wrote down a few things here sorry just bear with me for a moment um let me grab them up on my screen um see my group activity there we go okay so first of all my first one was it's a really emotional journey it's normal to be worried and anxious because we're typically not worried or anxious people but I just wanted to normalize that a bit and say actually it's okay you know you're going to it's not going to be easy. And if, if you're sitting there one evening kind of rocking, thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, that's perfectly normal. I think we need to normalize that more. Uh, my second tip was avoid jumping onto Google and looking at statistics. Instead, trust your doctor. Because I got obsessed at one point at searching for success rates of fertilization, day three MBOs, blast at day five based on ages, based on BMI, height, weight, moods, uh, but based on, um, uh, you know, it, it stress, all those kind of things. And, and that didn't um, do me any good at all. Uh, my third is avoid comparing yourself to others. And I think that's a really, really big one because it's super easy to jump on there and find someone else who's been through exactly what you've been through. And you can kind of convince yourself it's not going to work or it is going to work. And that's not healthy. So you've just got to be, be yourself and know that you're unique. And my fourth one is keep really busy. Um, I said here, actually, watch the movies, keep laughing, keep smiling. 
because those kind of things, you know, together. And there, there were days where I had to like force myself to smile. <laughs> and they, they were hard days where I was sitting there thinking, Katie's looking down about this. I've just got to go in and, you know, make her laugh. And I did not feel like laughing at all. But actually, you know, if you, you put on a good movie and you sit in front of it and laugh, you know, a comedy for a while, it just takes, just kind of takes that edge off a little bit and helps you focus on something else. So th- those are my four, my four main ones, particularly comparing, comparing yourself to others isn't good. And just trusting your doctor, you know, these are, none of us are are doctors, right? We we don't know really what's happening. We just know what we've been told, but these are the people that have spent years studying this and they really know their stuff. So, you know, if you're going to go onto Mumsnet and read a whole series of articles on, you know, IVF success rates, that's not going to do you any good. It's not going to change anything. Right. So, um, yeah. Those are really, really great tips. Four Mm. amazing tips from Matt himself. <laughs> from first yeah. experience. Um, and I, I wanna I, I'm gonna try and live by those for our second round. You know, so we know now that it's gonna be it's there are gonna be days where we're really anxious. We know that jumping on Google is not gonna help. We know that if we search for stories, that's not gonna help us. And definitely this time we're gonna take out more magazines, more games, uh probably research some nicer things in the area that we can go and visit and wander around um you know to kind of keep ourselves more kind of mentally busy i think would be better yeah 100 percent. Mm. in addition listen trying it's hard but i guess going through it you know try and stay optimistic you know i know miscarriage is, is part of the process mm. um it's hard it's it's hard you know i mm. uh, we had a miscarriage after after a round of ivf <laughs> you know it's actually kind of funny the journey that 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 we went through um we did the whole IVF and we did pre-genetic diagnosis and mm. it, it was, it was a mess, you know, it, even though you, you, you think one way, you know, there's a saying, you know, man, man plans and God laughs. So it's just, mm. you got to keep, keep being optimistic and saying, hey, absolutely. Know? Yeah. You know, and, and just follow your doctor. So I was, I was obsessed after we'd had this first miscarriage. I, I was thinking our doctor's going to turn around to us and say, move on to donor eggs. And I was thinking, gosh, how do I deal with this now as something else? How do I talk to Katie about this? What happens here? You know, what's that going to be like for us? And he turned around and said, that's not the plan I've got for you at all. And I thought, I've just spent two days Googling <laughs> what, what happens after, you know, IVF doesn't work. And you think that's, you know, so it, you've just got to, these people. Uh, everyone we've met over here and in Greece has been incredibly caring and they want the best for you. And they are the experts in this, not you. So you just got to lean on them and trust, trust what they're doing. Um, yeah. Trust is key. Trust is trust key. Trust is key. Yeah. And then picking yourself up, you know, after, so we got pregnant, we just burst into tears. It was one of the happiest days ever. We had this lovely kind of month or so of thinking, this is great, you know, one of the difficulties of IVF is everyone knows that you're pregnant, right? Because, you know, we're told friends and family where we're going. Um, Katie was blogging about it online and sharing her story, um, which has been really useful for lots of people. To, and she's connected with people online and read their stories as well. And that's been really useful. Um, so we kind of had this month of it's worked. I, can't, I remember saying, I don't know why it didn't work before. Why did we have to go and spend 15,000 pounds? And then, you know, suddenly the symptoms stop and we go for that scan and that they say, come back next week. We can't see anything, you know, um, and then we had a dreadful week. And But you've just got to find that strength to go, right, this hasn't worked. We're going to 
get through this together as a pair. We're going to support each other and we're going to go again. Uh, you've got to keep that hope is really, really important. In fact, in our bedroom, we've got two posters up on the wall uh, that we printed and it says, we are going to have a baby. And every morning we wake up and we see that because That's amazing. if we have, if we haven't got that hope, we haven't got anything in this. And I'm convinced that, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in that, that kind of mentality. You've got to keep believing it. As soon as you kind of start saying this isn't going to work, you, you know, you're going to end up in a really dark place. Um, so hope is, hope is key to this, I think. I love that saying, you know, there's a saying as a, as a sports fan, I grew up in New York. I'm a Mets fan. So, nice. you know, and the Mets always say, you gotta believe you gotta you do. believe you do. You know, ultimately we, a lot of what we have is hope, you know, hope for the future, hope for tomorrow. And if the moment you start saying this is never going to work for us, you know, not only will it, uh, I think damage you on a mental level, but there are some physical, you know, on, on a kind of more cellular level as well. There's some physical reactions to that, which aren't so good. And I'm sure you could convince yourself that it's not going to work. And then, you know, uh, and then amongst that, you've got to put that hope and trust in your doctors. And, you know, you've got to trust what they do. That's been the biggest thing I've learned through it as well. Um, that these people are genuinely, you know, we've, we've only met good doctors and good consultants and people that actually want this to happen you know that they, they're invested in it um yeah that, that those those people that give you hope but yeah it's t- it took us uh well we had a scan at uh seven weeks one day and they say come back in eight weeks one day it's hardest week ever oh, yeah. um and you know we 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 knew actually we knew it wasn't going to be there because katie had lost all their symptoms and uh i read i googled you know, <laughs> as you do, and you kind of think this is really bad news. So we prepared ourselves, and about ten days after that first scan, we were like, right, let's start planning for round two. And we've both picked ourselves up. I'm not saying it's easy every day. There are definitely there are times where I drive to work thinking, why, like, why me, why now, like, really, you know, we've got such a nice home, we've got all the love in the world, like, why, why us? But I don't let myself dwell on that too much because I think actually I could spend hours and hours worrying about it. And what's that going to achieve? Very, very, very little when actually keeping up that hope and planning for the next thing that we can do and talking to our doctors about what we can do next is more helpful. Um, And I'm really proud that Katie's she's done that really quickly as well. Um, And that's not easy. I'm really glad that you were able to do that. I mean, it's really, really difficult. You know, that seven oh. going to that scan, the heartbeat, you know, that seeing that oh. trial failure, it's extremely difficult. Did, did anyone ask you when you went for that scan, how you were feeling? No. How you were doing? No. And this is absolutely one thing I've noticed along this journey is uh, from, I mean, Katie's had 20 times the messages I've had of support. Uh, it's really, really interesting. And um, that's definitely something that needs challenging along the way. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not at all, I think she's been through more than I've been through because she's got the physical side of it as well as the mental side. And uh, that's horrible. And I, I, I also believe that she's got, uh, you know, we both desperately really want kids, but I don't think there's anything quite like a mother's kind of maternal instinct here to have children, right? As much as I'd love to have one, I don't think I, I'm ever going to really understand how much she wants it to. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of a lot of it's being directed at her, I think, which is really interesting. And, you know, we've had some nice cards and flowers for a couple. Um, but I think people check in with her a lot more than me. She's really good at checking in with me, too. 
which is nice. <laughs> but um, as people, absolutely not. No. And th- th- I felt that at times. I, I felt, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Not, not that I'm trying to feel sorry for myself at all. Um, but I've definitely noticed that females tend to get more of the kind of how are you feeling today? Are you doing okay? Um, her, her friends are in touch with her way, way, way more than mine. Do you wish that walking out of that appointment, that, that sonographer, that doctor, that social worker, whoever was in the room at the time asked you, how are you doing? He gave you a resource and an outlet to just. They didn't. No, no. It was really cold, actually. The, particularly the first time. Yeah, it was, it was a case of just come back in. They said like seven to 10 days and we were like, what? Well, you need to come back. And I, I said to her, well, hang on a moment. <laughs> what does this mean? Oh, there's no fetal pole. What does that mean? Well, we had these discussions. I was really shocked actually. And she kept on saying, I can't see a fetal pole. And I, we said to her, what, what is that? I'd never, I, I, I don't want to know what a fetal pole is, right? Um, that's, that's another kind of ignorance is bliss kind of thing. You know, what does that mean? And then we had to go away and do our own research. And there was nothing there from anyone to say, this is how you cope with this at the moment. You know, it was really, I was really shocked, actually. So it was going, really back, cool. going back to all of this, you know, what it all comes down to is education, education, I think really. Definitely. We need to have the staff in the hospitals and the clinics, you know, all over the world really say, you know, this is what's going on. Let's check in and, you know, on the, you know, on the guy, how, how he's mm. doing, mm. not just about the woman in the room, you know, mm. explain all of these things that are going on. Yes. It's hard to hear sometimes, but at the end of the day, we still boiled up inside, like trying to process all of it. Now, all of a sudden, Absolutely. You, do, you do Google research and, what does that do for you? <laughs> you exactly. Know? And so. I think also you, you feel like, I don't know whether you felt like this as a man, my job was to support both of us. And Katie's a wonderful partner. I'm very lucky, but I definitely felt as a bloke that it was my job to kind of pull us both back up. 100%. So, you know, you think actually you're dealing with your own emotions. You're, I was desperately trying not to show her how I felt. So when we came out of that scan, I didn't cry at all. I just held her hand and hugged her and she was in floods of tears. It was only when I went upstairs to get changed um, for the evening, I burst into tears because I didn't want her to see that. And I was thinking, this is crazy. You know, you should, you don't need to do that. And we we have a really open relationship, but I thought I don't want to show her my vulnerable side because I need to be strong for her. So you're, you're carrying this weight of you and how hard it is as a man who struggling to conceive, you know, and spent, spent a lot of money on this as well. Um, and, you know, you feel like you're, you've got to bolster up someone else. And yeah, we take a really hard hit, I think, a really hard hit. Yeah. We're told we're strong. Be strong, you know, yeah. be there for them. You know? Don't cry. <laughs> man up, stiff up a lip. Yeah. Man up, be strong, flex those <laughs> muscles, you know. <laughs> but- it's true. And I think to a certain extent, there is definitely, I think you need to do that at times. But, you know, I think that there are times where, like there's nothing like someone lying on a bed and someone scanning you saying your baby's not there, right? That's horrendous. And you've got to be there and say, right, we're going to get through this. Um, but there are, there are definitely times where you need some support too and someone to pick you up and say, it's going to be okay. Um, and I think more of that kind of even keel. And actually we're, we're quite good at that as a couple. So if, if I'm going through like a hard time, she'll pick me up um, for sure. But there's definitely way more funneled into the kind of female side to this in terms of support. But the, we left with no guidance. We left with no support, no numbers. There was no, here's a counseling line you can ring if you're going through this to talk about this. 
uh, here's a leaflet to explain what might be happening or there was it was really I was really shocked in fact if it wasn't for being so so kind of emotionally numb by it all you know if that was any other appointment I'd have said I don't think you handled that particularly well as a person but we were so stunned you know we were sitting outside waiting to go in looking for books we were going to buy as new parents you know, thinking, uh, uh, you know, Katie had lost some of her symptoms. So we were a little bit concerned, but I sat in the waiting room Googling. Uh, I was on Amazon trying to buy some, uh, I'm going to be a new dad books. And then I came out there and my world had changed like within 10 minutes. Yeah. And it was so cold. It, there was nothing afterwards at all, which re- looking back now, really shocking practice, actually. Really shocking practice. So looking forward, what advice, you know, what would you leave? All the all the men who are listening, all the f- future fathers going through all this. What would what would be your number one take home message, you know, to them? You've got to have hope. That's that's it. You know, you've got to believe. I, I fully one hundred percent believe that we're going to be parents one day. I know we are, and I've even made that promise to my partner. Um, and you know, we don't break promises to each other, right? We we're honest and honest couple, but you've got to, that hope is so important. Um, and secondly, you've got to find ways of looking out for yourself. Talk, talk to your friends, talk to people around you. Um, even if they don't quite know what to say, it makes you feel better when you've spoken to people about what you're going through. And, you know, it's perfectly okay to feel like your world's going to crumble. Um, but it's going to be, you'll get there, you know, in some way or other, there's, there's always solutions to lots of, lots of different things. It may not be exactly what you want at exactly the right time, but, you know, um, I, I think having that hope and that trust that it's going to work is really important. 100%. Matt, mm. thank you so, so much for being Pleasure. on the show. And really looking forward for our listeners itself, staying in touch, you know, please feel free to reach out, stay in touch, Absolutely. don't be a stranger. I'll send Definitely. you my WhatsApp number, you know, so people can get in get in touch with you, get in touch with me. Should they have questions? I'm more than follow-up? I'm more than happy with that as well from a UK side of things. No problems at all. You've just Excellent. listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.